Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. I'm Corwin Eller. And welcome to the show. Uh, as we are recording this, it is Wednesday. Wow, I really wanted to say Monday. Uh, it is Wednesday. Fuck, the date. August 10th. Oh, wow. At 5.30. It is on your screen 24-7. And, and and yet I had no capacity to draw it up immediately, um, which tells you the kind of day it's, it's the kind of week it's been. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we are we're a, a, about a third of the way through August, which means that we are rapidly a- approaching what we may start to call the home stretch, uh, the the down to the the wire of the pennant race in MLB. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit of baseball for you today. Corwin, how are you ready to get into it? What is baseball? It's a great fucking question. Um, silly nonsense, uh, which I guess we could start with some silly nonsense because we were talking right before we hopped on about uh, Chris Sale getting hurt in a bicycle accident, which um, <laughs> is objectively funny. It doesn't really. I I saw people genuinely. I saw Red Sox fans genuinely upset with him on Twitter, which I think is all right. Calm, calm down. You know what I mean? Like, look, it's hilarious that without, despite all of his injuries, he's, he managed to hurt himself yet again, riding a bicycle, but of all the inoffensive activities one could think to do, especially as a, a group of people who might consider themselves environmentalists, riding a bicycle is not the most outlandish thing to do. It's a wacky misfortune. Um, But yeah, it's led to some, further investigation of whether or not that contract is uh how one of the most funny, horrible ones in baseball history how funny this situation is uh how much of that would you say is dependent on it being the red sox oh significant amounts the specifically the red sox this season like this season red sox is like wow you like you traded for Tommy Pham. That's how off the rails this season is for you. Oh, and by the way, your A starting pitcher got hurt on a bicycle. <laughs> like like any other season, I feel like it would be like, ah, oh, that sucks that they're not going to have him to compete. <laughs> this is just like your season's over. Like there's nothing you're competing for. This is just like, holy shit, this is a dumpster fire. I loved it. It's like everything that happens to the Browns. It's like they never really are contending against any other teams in the AFC North, you know, outside of a handful of the past, you know, six years. Um, But boy, when shit happens, it's fucking hilarious because they are utter dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, Chris Sale is currently under contract all the way through 2025. Good. Yes. Um, the Red Sox have more control over Chris Sale than the Padres do for Juan Soto. Makes you think. Sure. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> really makes you think. Um, since signing his extension in, I, what year did he actually sign this in then? I guess 2020, 2019 was when he signed it. Oh, okay. So that's weird. So looks like 2025, they owe him money, but he's also a restricted free agent. Because it's deferred. Uh, no, that's not it. I'm going to be honest. There's $20 million that the Red Sox owe him in 2025 that I really can't square away. So, um, 
<laughs> fucking, I have no clue, but whatever. Since signing his five-year contract in 2019, uh, Chris Sale has pitched a whopping total of 195 innings in the last four seasons, which is uh, a 162 game pace of, uh, sorry, is an average per season of 65 innings per per year. Uh, if you, you were to extrapolate that out to a 162 game pace, it'd be 185 innings, which is fantastic. But unfortunately, that's just not the case. Um, his ERA has been fine. Like, he's been a decent enough pitcher since he's been out there. Uh, well, his ERA plus is 118. His ERA was 4.09, which is n- not fantastic. But yeah, he has not pitched more than, let's see, 2019 had a full season. 2020 didn't play. 2021, he pitched 42 innings. And this year, which is already over for him, he's pitched less than six. Oof. Um, yeah, it's one of those. I'd love to have it be the case of Chris Hale just started really sucking and just being batted around. Um, look, he hasn't been pitching like a $30 million pitcher, but he hasn't shown up. So that really can't make up for anything. Best ability is availability. Um, Do you think, isn't it? So this is a funny little quirk to his baseball reference page. Just while I'm looking at it, uh, he is the all time leader in strikeout to walk ratio with 5.33 strikeouts per walk. That's insane. However, he has only ever led the American league, let alone baseball once in that category. Only one time. He's got to be the only guy that is the all time leader in something without ever being the individual season MLB leader in something. You know what I mean? Like Mariano has led all of baseball in, in saves a, a couple times. Barry Bonds has led all of MLB in home runs a couple times. I'm sure Albert Pujols has led all of MLB and grounded into double plays. Like those are three guys off the top of my head. Anyway, um, same thing with I'm sure Ted Williams is like the batting uh, average one. He's led MLB in a bunch of times to never lead MLB in a category that you're the best at all time in kind of weird, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love to see the consistency numbers versus what guys typically are like, because um, I feel like both of those things aren't huge variables year to year. Like there, there's not much variance. I should say year to year. If you can strike guys out, you typically are usually able to strike guys out. If you typically don't walk a lot of batters, you're not typically going to start just walking a bunch of batters. So, um, again, I love to dig into that deeper but we would be here for hours number two on the list by the way is an active player for a strikeout to walk who is oh god let me think what is it someone that is like a veteran has really wait so it's all time not just ratio nope it's ratio that is that's literally what we're talking about so my original question is it someone who has been around for a long time or like, what's the qualifier for this? I know that there's a service time or innings pitch minimum that goes into baseball references stats page, but I don't really know. Oh, minimum of 1,000 innings pitched, 3,000 plate appearances, 500 that's, games. That's good to know. That's helpful. Um, I feel like a Clayton Kershaw would be a good guess. Number nine, Clayton Kershaw. 
DeGrom, is he up there? DeGrom is number two. Not love that. DeGrom is number two. Number three is some man named Tommy Bond. Number four is some man named Josh Tomlin. Five is Corey Kluber. Josh Tomlin. Josh Josh Tomlin Tomlin. was a pitcher for the Indians for the last couple of years. I guess he retired. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. Wow. I totally blocked this dude from my fucking memory. Wow. So his ERA is like garbage for his career. But he He just never walked anybody. Well, an interesting never walked anybody. He has also never led, never led the American League in strikeout to walk. Never. Yo, Tommy then, Bond being here the is single hilarious. Season, the single season like leaderboards must be all like relievers. That must be how they calculate it. Because oh, that's a great. Yeah, because you know I'm looking at Degrom. He's not here either. You're right. It's got to be just relievers. Um, I would like to shout out Tommy Bond for being here though, because he pitched from 1874 to 1884. Wow. Um, so he just. What was his career high in walks? His career high in walks was 45 in one season, 1880. How many innings? 493. Holy shit. Yeah. So he um, he might average one walk a game and well, pitching a complete game. Granted, it's it's walk to strikeout ratio. So really he was striking shit. dudes out at an air at an, in an era where strikeouts weren't common because he led MLB in strikeouts twice and led MLB in strikeouts to walk four times he started this is my favorite part of doing this is the team names he started his career with the um brooklyn atlantics another team we have been doing this for so long we have i have read sat here in this chair and read stupid team name from the 1800s after stupid team name in the 1800s and i'm still finding ones i've never heard of when will their tyranny end Anyway, the Brooklyn Atlantics, which isn't a real team. Then he played for the Hartford Duck Blues for a couple years before the Boston Red Stockings. Oh, God, I would the- fucking kill for a Hartford Blue, whatever, Blue Fins, Blue. Hartford Duck Blues. In 1882, he played for the the uh, Worcester Ruby Legs uh, before finishing his career in 1884 with the Boston Reds and the Indianapolis Hoosiers. God, this is such, this is so stupid. Oh my God. I, I, I love it. I love it. This is incredible. Uh, fun whoa, team names. Wait, wait, here. Wait, the, the Hartford duck blues, right? Yes. The Hartford blues was an NFL team. In 1926. That's way more recent than I thought you would say. Because, like, that's the year the Giants were founded. I can't even find the Hartford Duck Blues. They, uh, I don't have their existence. Dark Blues. I could have. Oh, it is dark. I'm sorry. Uh, I was, I was really hoping we could get duck jerseys because that would be awesome. just some incredible combination of modern team names with team names that are bullshit. So the Whoa. Brooklyn Atlantics. What, what was what was the guy's name? The pitcher that we were talking about? Uh, Tommy Bond. Oh, 60.9 career war. A two-time ERA title. Triple crown holder. Not in the Hall of Fame. Born in Ireland. He, he is not listed amongst the Hartford Dark Blues notable alumni. An 
alumni, Jesus. Uh, but Tom Barlow played for the team, who was the pioneer of the bunt. <laughs> I guess someone had to invent the bunt. What? Uh, but do, do you invent was the disc- bunt? He was like, discussed. I don't. I have no idea. He was discussed in Ken Burns' baseball, the documentary, and also suffered from morphine addiction. He got three points of discussion. Two of them were really cool. One is very depressing. <laughs> One of them was probably exceedingly common at the time, uh, since you could buy that shit at the corner store. But anyway, uh, real quick, because, again, I love this part. The New York Mets are not the first NYM team, because that, I guess, goes to the New York Mutuals, who are also in the same division as the uh, Brooklyn Atlantics. Their division was uh, the Boston Red Stockings, New York Mutuals, Philadelphia Athletics, which is still a team. You know, they're not the Oakland Athletics. The Philadelphia Whites, which, man, that feels racist, uh, and sh- I'm sure it is. The Chicago White Stockings, which is still a team. They were the Philadelphia White Stockings. I see here Philadelphia Whites, and I'm sticking with that, but, yeah, they probably were. The Hartford Dark Blues and the Baltimore Canaries, which, honestly, baller team name. I love that. They also have the Baltimore Canaries, which were listed as the Lord Baltimore on the box scores but also I, referred to as the yellow stockings. I like that too. Um, can we just some, spend the rest of the episode digging into these old teams? All right, hold on. Cause I have a few more that you're going to just love. Okay. So then the next year they, it looks like they expanded because there's all the teams. I, I just said some additions, the St. Louis Brown stockings, which uh, became somebody, they, those became the St. Louis Browns. That's actual page pitched for. And I forget who they became after that. It doesn't really matter. Um, the new Haven Elm cities. Which I kind of love that too. Elm City. That's a that's a dope ass name. Get this. You ready? The Washington Nationals. <laughs> yeah, go fucking figure. That team name existed prior to the current. I mean, it's a generic team name, so I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. But it is like wild to hear Whoa. it having existed. What? I just I'm looking at the National Association of professional baseball players uh, which was a league i don't know if it's wildly different from the one you're discussing discussing um but includes a lot of the same teams and boy it has some fucking wild ones on here yeah the, the last couple i have here are the st louis red stockings and a company of the, the brown stockings uh the philadelphia sentinels so there was three philly teams here the brooklyn atlantics and then the keokuk westerns Westerns. I don't even know where. Oh that yeah, 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 I have a couple more here, such as the New Haven Elm Cities. Yes. The Elizabeth Resolutes. <laughs> okay. The like middle, Elizabeth, New Jersey. I I assume so. Uh, the Middletown Mansfields. Uh, let's see, Lord. By the Baltimore. way, Keokuk is in um, Iowa, so somehow an Iowa team okay. got in here. The yeah. Troy Haymakers, Rockford Forest Cities, the Cleveland Forest Cities, <laughs> which were two separate teams. That's great. And the Fort Wayne Kekiangas. We're going to dig into <sighs> Fort Wayne here. K-E-K-I-O-N-G-A-S. 
They won the first game in the league on May 4th, 1871. What if I told you that a man named Kiki John Daly, Onga. Kiki Onga. John Daly played for the Washington Nationals 1875. <laughs> How does that make you feel? John Wayne. John Daly. Oh, geez. Uh, he John looks Daly, every bit golfer? of it. Not really, but I mean, <laughs> it fits. It fits the profile. It absolutely does. If you told me that John Daly, the golfer, was secretly a baseball player from 1875, I would go, yeah. Yeah, okay. I buy it. All right, I promise we did actually have a topic for today. Do you want no, to? No, no, this is way better. I liked our topic idea. For some of the like some of the the players on this team, uh, which only existed in 1866. Oh no, it listed for a while. Uh, they only have like scribbles, parts of names listed. I assume because that's all that was uh, legible. Yeah, okay. lots of question marks next to next to names, which I always think is fun. Um. Yeah. My, my, what, I, what I love so much, what, I, what so enamors me with um, looking at these 1870s and 1880s and all that shit, uh, baseball team names, isn't that like they're so old and it's like it might what really tickles me about it is like, imagine a group of like 20 dudes get together and we're like, yeah, yeah, we're the we're the fucking New Haven Elm Cities, bitch. Like, that's what we do. We play baseball. We're the Wests. I mean, the I, Westerns, a group of a group of adults got together and traveled around the East Coast, really only. And and we're like, yeah, we're the brown stockings. That's what we're about. Motherfucker. I mean, this is essentially beer league softball and how it originated. Like, imagine historians 150 years from now talking about your local softball league. That's what's so funny is like, imagine it, the the year the year is 1874 we are nine years out from the civil war and a group of men got together in baltimore and we're like call us the fucking canaries motherfucker we are the canaries it's just ridiculous it's... To me. yeah anyway not what the topic for today was all all that to i guess lead into the real thing i wanted to talk about today which is I don't understand Isaiah Connor Falefa and I I hate him. I do. I I hate him with my being, with my soul, with my heart. I uh I remember when he first got traded to or signed with the team. Traded. That was a trade. Um, you were not amused, and then he he performed a little bit uh to start, and I remember you warming up just just ever so slightly. Uh, and having not followed the Yankees outside of Aaron Judge's home run derby uh, over the course of the season, uh, I love that you're back on the, the hate wagon. Well, because it's one of those things where you we, it needs to be uh, – yeah, it's a Corwinism I just used, one of those things. Um, we, you need to decide over the course of the season what your tolerance level is for certain lack of uh, – or performers, Right. And we understand and give grace a lot to certain individuals for certain contributions in, in some areas and lack of contributions in others. The biggest example that we can always give here are catchers. Catchers are required, right? Even a shit catcher is better than trying to shoehorn. Like there, there's no utility player that's also like, by the way, I'm an okay catcher because no, you're not. You know what I mean? You can take a second base and be like, we're dying. You have to play short. And he'll be like, I won't be good, but I can do it. And he'll, yeah, yeah. that guy can't catch effectively. So 
you give a lot of grace, even to your shitty catchers for their bad offense, because it is a specialized skill. But that to the side, what we were promised with Isaiah Connor Falefa was a guy who play, would play plus defense, if not plus plus defense, be a mediocre hitter and just, you know, not make any mistakes with, with the base running. And what we've gotten is a fucking disaster. What we've gotten is an absolute disaster of a human being. He can't field for shit. Not only does he have no range, he can't charge in on a ball well at all, which is something I can't usually notice. Like when I start noticing your fielding errors, it's already off the rails because I'm not good at it. Um, He can't make a throw to save his goddamn life. And his bat is exactly as advertised, which is bad. He has a career OPS plus of 81. His OPS plus for this season is 81. He has 1.4 war on the season, which isn't awful. No, I guess. But it it's it's it seems like a downgrade from what the Yankees team was last season, which is kind of the opposite direction that the team ideally would like to be heading in. And to that effect, it, given the context of where the this current version of the Yankees team is, particularly when it comes to shortstop, it makes it kind of frustrating because we're coming off of one of the greatest shortstop free agent classes of all time. You, you know, you could have had uh, Trevor Story. You could have had um, Carlos Correa. You could have had the third guy. I can't think Corey Seager. The fucking I know Marcus Simeon made his made his dollars playing second at um, in Toronto, but fucking even that would be a huge improvement. Well, I should check in on what he's doing this season before I say that'd be a huge improvement. Because um, last I checked, it was not going well down there. But still, uh, it, it's tough to look at Glaber, who had a real down year at, at uh, last year, uh, you know, occupying the Yankees shortstop via um, by appearance. And still, Simeon has 2.8 war, a 239 batting average, 702 OPS for a 100 OPS plus. So he's significantly better than what Isaiah Connorfluff is doing this season. Got it. Yeah. Um, and Glaber Torres, who had a real down year last year to the point where a lot of Yankees fans were questioning what his existence would be with the Yankees uh, in the long term, still had 12 points better on his OPS plus than what IKF is doing right now. Hit a lower war, 0.8, but a lot of that came from defense, which honestly, who fucking cares at this point? What would you expect his D war to be this season with the caveat of uh, in the past, uh, his rookie year, he had 1.5 D war in 111 games, 0.3 in 65 in 2019, one point, or sorry, 1.2 in 58 games in 2020 and two in 158 games last year. Oh, two entire D-War last year? Yeah. In 100 games so far this season. I mean, for me, it feels like negative 70, but I'm going to go ahead and say I'm wrong, and he's probably been okay, so I'll say like 0.5. Uh, 1.2. Fuck out of here. Really? Because by out, outs above average is not a, is not a fan. Because I was going to say, I have um, the... Uh, 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 fucking baseball savant, Jesus Christ! Um, the top performers for for shortstop and Isaiah Conforlafa by outs above average is the twenty fifth best 
shortstop in MLB out of 36. So that puts him pretty just outside of the, the 10 worst shortstops in baseball this year, which uh, not great at all. Gotta say. And it's hilarious. You know, it's funny. I just said he, uh, he can't come in on balls. He has negative eight outs above average when he has to charge in. That's by far the worst of his metrics. And Wait. just from scanning through, it's the worst of any player in MLB this year. Where is he still uh, a positive player? Uh, everything that's not charging in on balls, um, but everything is very tepidly positive. Hence why his mm. overall is still negative. Does it does it show like year to year? Uh, let me see if I can find it on his page, which I already have. I don't come to baseball savant often. My goodness, it I, I am confused. Yeah, I have it year over year. Last year coming in, he had a negative 13 outs above average. Uh, and then every, wow, every year before that, he was positive. Jesus Christ. It is fucking hilarious seeing him be in the 99th percentile in whiff percentage and in the first percentile in barrel percentage. Well, what's wild is it's 99th percentile in whiff, meaning he just doesn't swing and miss, does not do it. Um, but then he's 15th in walks, which just means like, yeah, he's swinging at fucking everything. And congratulations, you put your bat to the ball, but you're not getting on base because you don't walk. You're just swinging. You're just going up there like but, the bat is coming off my shoulder today. But he's also not striking out. He's 91st percentile K rate. But it, and that's the thing is like, it feels like this is an old school baseball player's wet dream because he doesn't hit the ball. He still still doesn't have a home run on the season. Still, and you know what? You know what? I would trade the world over in in strikeouts for this motherfucker to hit a goddamn home run. Because that's what it is at the end of the day. I, I don't give a shit. Judge could make every out that he makes as a strikeout and finish the year with, I don't know, 300 strikeouts, and I would not care because he is going to hit over 50 home runs, and who the fuck cares about your strikeouts at that point? Because And you know what? Just to pile fuck on, I would take more strikeouts from IKF because what he ends up doing is hitting shit weak ground balls because of his high contact percent that become double plays. It's a double play machine. Let's see what his double plays are this year. Hold on. 11. He already has as many grounded in his double plays this year as he did all of last year, and there's still 60 games to go. Way to go, Eric Hosmer. At least Eric Hosmer would could lie to you and say he had pop. IKF doesn't even have that. I was really, really excited to see what uh, you were going to go with there for the positives for Eric Hosmer. But, yeah, no, he, he could lie to us, absolutely. Um, IKF slugging is 315. It's bad. That's it. He has 16 doubles on the year. That is it. No triples, no home runs, nothing. He doesn't hit the bar, the ball far enough to be able to even try to leg out a triple. It doesn't even go that far. That's how bad this is. And he's relatively fast too, 83rd percentile sprint speed. 
Yeah. The problem is you have to hit the ball past some fielders to do that, and he can't fucking do it. It's wild because we talked about some some non-power hitters becoming power hitters over the past couple of years, or even just being able to hit more home runs than a guy you'd think, you know, about how the era of those guys who'd finish the year with zero home runs with significant playing time are kind of done. Cause you'd get those guys in like the seventies and eighties who were slap hitters um, because that's all they could really do. And people had a more inside out swing that led to more singles. So home runs weren't as common. That doesn't happen. Brett Gardner hit 30 home runs the other year. I don't know if this is something that is merited because I do not watch the Yankees nearly as much as you do. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But the past like four or five years, I feel like the Yankees have had some really dominant players, some really top of the line MLB players and a very good team with some absolute black holes at certain positions that completely tank their ability to perform as a entire team. It's been the up the middle. That's what uh, you're right. And it's been the up the middle. It's been catcher, shortstop and center. Hmm. Center field. Sorry. That that's, that's what it's been this year. Center field is going to look a lot better, at least on the offensive numbers because the judge having to take over that role um, with, with the injuries and Bader will get healthy as much as you know, you hate that you got him. You do got him. I don't hate that I that we got him as much as I, I hate the trade for him <laughs> from what we had to give up and the fact that it was the only thing of substance that we really did. Well, Frankie Montas too, but still, it's not a good combination. Because uh, what's, what's been so frustrating about it, with the catching stuff you kind of get, because it's like we said this a ton during Gary Sanchez's tenure with the team. What is your alternative? It just so happens this year we're seeing what one of those options was in Jose Trevino, who's having a colossal year that no one could have expected. So awesome. Um, but this year, in response to the question of what's your alternative to Isaiah Connor Falefa, there are so many options. It's absolutely infuriating because you didn't have to start the season with him. You could have started with any of the big three shortstops who were coming in out of free agency. The Yankees didn't feel like ponying up. You could try trading for somebody this offseason or the during, at, at the trade deadline. Who you would have targeted specifically? I don't know. I don't really care. Go fuck yourself. Figure it out. Um, but the thing that's now confusing that I wanted to talk about as well is the fact that the Yankees have some highly touted shortstop prospects who, at this point, I can't imagine being less of a contribution than what Isaiah Connor Falefa is doing. And this is where I wanted to. to direct part of our conversation um, about the, the the go forward, as much as I can sit here and bitch about IKF's performance thus far, the, the question ultimately becomes, what do you do? Uh, so Oswaldo Peraza is currently the Yankees triple a prospect sitting in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre over in Pennsylvania and Anthony Volpe or Volpe. I, 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 Volpe. I, he was born in Wachung. Get the fuck out of here. I, I knew he was from New Jersey. I didn't realize he was from Wachung. That's funny. That's um, weird. Somewhat near where Josh lives. Yeah, go fucking figure. He went to fucking uh, Del Barton. That's that's fucking funny. Nice. And he, yeah. Anyway, um, he's currently the Yankees double A Somerset prospect. Now, both these guys are having really solid years. Um, Oswaldo Peraza. I, I don't have anything for their fielding stuff, which at the end of the day, again, I, I wow, I just don't give a shit. Um, 
He is currently batting uh, in Triple A this season in 82 games, 258, 328, 447. That's an OPS of 775. He's got himself 15 home runs, uh, 16 doubles, um, and 26 stolen bases on the back of uh, three caught stealing with 28 walks. Um, Anthony Volpe is having himself a very tidy year, 250. 351, 468 for an OPS of 820. Granted, big caveat, this is double A. Um, and he is, uh, you know, two levels removed from the big show. 91 games. He has hit 16 home runs, 26 doubles, a triple, uh, 37 stolen bases, six caught stealing, 48 walks. Do you see either of them making the 40 man for the playoff run? Well, and that's what I wanted to kind of kick around with you because for me, all right, I understand that calling up either guy raises the following two major issues, ignoring some of the relatively speaking, more minor issues. The two major issues for the Yankees would be one. Let's just say Peraza just for sake of ease. Cause he's the triple A prospect. If you call up Peraza, and he sucks. Mm-hmm. That may affect his trade value if you were looking to move him in the offseason for more major league ready pieces. So there's that risk. To the some other, extent. Sure. Right. I, I, I'd like to think us as fans have a lot of leeway and understanding with young players coming up in very short stints, you know, small sample sizes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it it's if he really, I mean, chugs ass, then it it it, it might affect what you could get for him if you assume to deal him. The other negative, um, which is a negative for nobody but the Yankees, is service time manipulation. You do not want to start that clock any sooner than you absolutely have to if you are a cheapskate piece of shit. Now, the reason I think both of those two things can be so easily ignored is they against the backdrop of what the fuck else can you do? Holy shit. This team needs to have a a sincere playoff run. They need to try to make a world series and they've been scuffling for the past month and a half um, is that both those things are remarkably minor in my eyes, remarkably minor. And I can't fathom why you would stick to your guns of IKF when this team is still very good despite their struggles, but clearly needs an injection of something. And the one of the most obvious areas of improvement is right there at short. Uh, how would you feel about the uh, a potential triple A call up? This is a New York Yankees team that still has a very good farm system has what three guys still in the top 12 of their prospects who are shortstops. I think if you genuinely would agree with the fact that one of these top guys likely Peraza um, is someone who can perform at the major league level. Now, I think you should take that chance and see what they can give you for a late season, postseason run. I get that you invested in uh, IKF. He is not good. 
I would highly recommend everyone just trying out just uh, the sweet relief of, hey, let's hope that this prospect can do something because it's a great feeling. Uh, hope hope does that to people. It's just it's nice. Um, what do you have to lose? Like, yeah, you start the, the service window. It's six years. You have six years. If you want to contend sometime in the next six years, which believe it or not, I think the New York Yankees want to do. They also have the money to sign them to an extension. If the time comes uh, like, what the fuck are you trying to pull over our eyes? Like you can afford it. You don't need to be manipulating service time for guys that can help you win a championship. That's silly. My two cents. Well, and, and I feel like that's where we're at. Cause part of the other problem that comes with this inaction is that the longer you delay on the possibility of bringing up a young guy, the less time that that guy, again, let's just say Peraza for ease gets to acclimate to the environment that is MLB. You know, if you wait until the day before your first playoff game and the Yankees are still making the playoffs, you know what I mean? This is not do or die necessarily. Um, This is really just how, how much of a threat do we want to be? which sounds like an insane thing to have the option, not just take it a la what the Padres did. Um, but whatever this is, is more of like a, how much of a threat do we want to be? And, Cause if, if it's the day before the playoffs and you go, ah, well, we've decided IKF, it's not working. Let's bring up uh, Peraza. And then he's like, well, fuck, I've been playing a, against a bunch of fucking schmucks. Not well, not really. I've been playing against triple A guys, and like you know, that's a huge jump, triple A to to the majors. I I have a whole acclimation to do. I'm making my debut soon. Like, like this is nuts, you know what I mean? Like it, it you don't get time to get ready. It's a new facility, a new routine, new teammates, even aside from the difficulty of the new pitching, like it's different. And every game you choose not to do that is less time that player gets to try to feel comfortable. Assuming that they do it, which again, I, that's what, one of the things that infuriates me so much about this trade deadline is you could even forgive IKF more if there was something else they did somewhere else that brought a big impact bat in, you know, and I, I'm picking IKF a lot. A lot of Yankees are underperforming. Josh Donaldson has been fucking trash. Uh, Kyle Higashioka I watched, is exactly I watched uh, a low light of Josh Donaldson taking three straight pitches in the center of the zone at like 90 mile, miles an hour, just three straight fastballs and just get struck out looking like such a poor effort. Unreal. Just today in like, like the second or third inning, he gets struck out on 93 with a, and, and even the commentators are like, that got a lot of the plate, Josh. And it's like, yeah, why are you bitching? He's bitching about it, dude. It, it You're bad. How is this happening? And so, like, it's it's not just Higgy, but you know, at least with Donaldson, his his he's not making obvious defensive miscues. He still has the ability to hit a home run. I think is the most generous way to put it. Um, and uh, some third thing I had that I can no longer remember. Um, but you know, Higgy's uh, Higgy IKF is really standing out. Because, you know, Higgy doesn't play every day, so you can kind of, like, write that off. Aaron Hicks is hurt constantly. You know, you can kind of, like, write that off. But, man. man. And, again, if there was an impact signing somewhere in between, if the Yankees were the team that acquired 
Juan Soto or, or even fucking like a guy like David Peralta or whomever or some of the other bigger bats that got moved. You go like, all right, well, they're trying to mitigate this disaster somehow. But instead, all the Yankees came up with was Andrew Benintendi, who. Cool. He's like a better version of IKF, I guess, but in the outfield and Harrison Bader, which is like, cool. That's like a slightly. It's almost the same thing as Andrew Benintendi and also in the outfield. And uh, whereas our infield is like trash and the guys you acquired aren't exactly impact hitters in the way that I think the Yankees need right now. Um, uh, like, How do you watch your team go 500 for like two months? A team that was cruising at a 750 pace for the first two months of the year, plummet down to a 500 win uh uh, win loss in the last like month and a half and just go like, yeah, well, we don't feel like it. Is their move that happened or at least was rumored around the trade deadline outside of Juan Soto that you think the Yankees in retrospect should have taken advantage of? Um, There was the pitching one, the, the guy from the, Marlins, whose name escapes me right now. Um, uh, Pablo Lopez. Thank you. Yeah, that would have been that would have been swell. But uh, none of the bats that I can really think of that that, that stand out, if we're being honest. Um, and it was it, like we said, when we did our trade deadline recap, it was a pretty sparse deadline. Not a lot of big people got moved. The again, the, the high end was very, very high, but they really didn't. You know, they didn't really do. No one really did much else. Um, the biggest bat that wasn't Juan Soto that got moved. Well, probably let's take Josh Bell out of that too, because it was the same trade package. Because I was say he might be number two, number three might be Trey Mancini. God, I, I as much as I hate seeing him on the Astros, it would just be a, a, a slight tier below that if he went to the Yankees. It's tough. That would have been great uh, for you. I would have loved for you you to see see that happiness but uh the rest of mlb the rest of them will be wanted him in in baltimore honestly i wouldn't have wanted him on the yankees for the same reason i would have wanted him to stay in baltimore it sucks that he's not in baltimore yeah um which we'll talk about baltimore to close out the show in a minute but it um it's such a head scratcher because typically the way that you i and i think most people consider the regular season up until the trade deadline is we made moves in the off season. We've maybe called up guys and sent guys down over the course of the regular season, depending on performance. Uh, And now that we've had a good hundred games to evaluate our situation, we're going to address our deficiencies or our our surplus values in the, 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 the the, uh, trade market. And so you would think that such a glaring issue as this one would be addressed by this point. Because beyond the trade deadline, your options for what you can do are immensely limited. It essentially is just uh, waiver wire and and your your farm system. That that that's kind of it. You can no longer trade, and there's, as long as there's a good free agent sitting around, it's fucking August. So it it seems like such a bizarre position for the Yankees to have done nothing but put themselves in to even get here in the first place. It's so strange. So so strange. You know what would have been the ultimate, oh, wow, no one's happy move? 
if the Yankees somehow put together a massive trade package for Xander Bogarts. Oh. No one would be happy because Yankees fans would be like, I don't want to give the Red Sox all that. And then Red Sox fans would be mad because (laughs) they they sent Xander Bogarts to the Yankees. Who wants that? Um, That is just so filthy. But you got to admit, what do you what do you think that trade would have to be? If we're talking like no more than like two prospects, who who from the Yankees would have to go up to Boston? Two who would prospects? get shipped up to Boston? As well, like Peraza and Ken Waldachuk. I'm just saying, like outside of like, I don't want it to be like, oh, just name off a handful of prospects. Who from like the major league roster do you think would have to leave? From what hole would ro- you? What holes would you be opening up to trade for Xander? From the major league roster or from the high end of our of our farm system? League roster, a major league roster. Oh, two fucking relief pitchers. I don't, uh, <laughs> Whatever. It it is not an answerable question, so we can move on. Yeah. No. 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 Um. Well, I think for real though, it'd have to be uh, because the the Yankees took on the contract. I think you could get away with as Waldo Peraza, Ken Waldachuk, and probably probably a real like major league current major league reliever. And uh, maybe one other pitching prospect um, might be the you, might be like the starting point of that. And you'd have to take Tommy Pham. <laughs> well, is this, is this before or after we get fucked with that? They're, they 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 fuck themselves with that. Uh, after, so he is a Boston Red Sox, and uh, he immediately gets traded away. They're uh, looking over. They're looking over the official announcement from MLB, and they're like, "Oh my god, we did this." Oh God! No, 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 no! Don't even let him touch down in Boston. Get him, ship him right back out. Heim Heim Bloom was about to go out for a, lo- a lovely weekend with his wife, and he he tells the the data analytics department, like, guys, you know the guy I'm thinking of, the outfielder everyone's talking about, made headlines this year. Go get him, and then left, turned off his phone. And the number one guy was like. Tommy Pham it is, big boy. <laughs> Dude's just wearing like a, a Boston Bruins uh, jersey, clearly not a baseball fan. Just like, ah. Uh, he made just, headlines Just, this just year. searching out, he outfield, slapped Jock outfielder. Peterson in the face. Yes, searching it on Google, like outfielders in the news. Blah, blah, blah. Tom, Tommy Pham. Imagine if he traded for both Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson. I don't know if we talked about this during the episode. That would have been hilarious. Play Tommy in center. Now kiss. Jacques in left field. Hell yeah. That'd be, that'd be pretty fucking it'd be pretty fucking funny. Yeah, I, yes, I, I, I can't I can't lie to you. Um Corey Seeger, best ex Woba amongst position players about amongst uh, shortstops. Hmm. Isaiah Connor Falefa, twenty yeah. second. Not good. 20 seconds. And you know, the, the thing that, Where, that's mind boggling is all the teams below all the, all the um, shortstops below him are all on teams that are out of the playoff hunt or got kicked off of their team. Where is Hassan Kim? Um, Where is I'm my going boy? to assume. Oh, uh, 13th. Nice. Yeah. Number one is Corey Seager, who the Yankees could have signed via free agency. Number two is Carlos Correa, whom the Yankees could have signed via free agency. 
Uh, number three is Trey Turner. Number four is Danzy Swanson. Number five is Tim Anderson. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And then let me see for second baseman because that's where Trevor Story has been playing for second base. Man, I fucking love Hassan Kim. I, I know he feels it d- deep in his bones. Um, Trevor Story has been bad. Uh, 298 X Woba, which is, uh, I, I don't know where it ranks because base, baseball spots being weird. But uh, yeah, that's not great. However, 298 is still. Um, better than Isaiah Connor Falafa by uh, over 10 points. So, yeah, I'll take that. Like, Bobby Witt Jr. is having such a better season by Xwoba than Isaiah Connor Falafa is, and it's his, it's his rookie year. But to be fair, he is uh, a very good uh, prospect and rookie. No, I, but what I'm saying is he is a rookie. We could get a meaningful contribution out of a rookie. Like mm, we don't have yes. to be doing this to ourselves. To be fair, none of the rookie shortstops you have were the number one overall prospect in all of baseball. No, for but like I like a them. month. Um, speaking actually real quick of uh, Wanda Franco, not having a spectacular year this year, which is odd. Um, hasn't been bad. He has 1.7 war this season, a 106 OPS plus. By baseball reference, he has a 0.4 D-war, um, all of which is t- totally fine. But um, just a, a big well, a big step back from what he did last year, where he got 3.5 war in 70 games, which would put him on pace to have over 7 war for the full season. Um, whereas this year, you know, uh, he's on pace to really not even get to that 3.5. Um Granted, he's missed time because he's hurt. I believe he's on the injured list right now. But, uh, yeah, disappointing sophomore season. Does it mean anything? No, probably not. No, I I still have a lot of faith in him. Yeah. One of those things where it's like, ah, that's unfortunate. But, uh, yeah. Doesn't mean anything. Sucks, but, boy, it's not like we're going to trade Wander Franco. Yeah, yeah, no one. Yeah, how fucking ridiculous is this? I should talk Kyle Higashioka. He hits a two-run home run to put the Yankees on top. Nice. This is like I remember Higgy couldn't could not get his MLB his first MLB hit like to save his life. Like he was just flailing. He had a zero batting average forever, and then his first three MLB hits were all home runs, and people were like, "Oh my god, this is all he does. This is amazing." And then he's just like sucked a bag of dicks since then. But he's, he'll. This is the thing, Kyle Higashioka, who looks like a substitute teacher, will run into a home run every now and then, without real playing time. He's also a future uh, substitute teacher. One can only hope. Whereas Isaiah Connor Falefa, with he is the living embodiment of why people who say like, yeah, if, you know, if you gave me J- Josh Tracy, you gave me a hundred sixty games i'd go run into a home run eventually living proof that uh no you can't you absolutely cannot if that was true isaiah kind of would have the stupidest most bullshit home run by now where it's like they traveled 306 feet and scraped a wall like it does and he doesn't have that living proof that no guy jim fucking nobody you're not hitting a home run despite the isaiah kind of hasn't even been hurt it's not like he's played all season, but it's only been 60 games since he's hurt. Not even that. 
It just sucks. Fuck. Hate it. Uh, oh, uh, and then Judge just hit another home run. Nice. What's he up to? It's got to be 45 now, I think. What's that pace? Um, Hold on real quick. Yes, that is 45. Uh, what's his um home run rate? Fuck, I didn't have this up. Oh, there it is. 9.3% of all plate appearances. So let's say he has, if he play, does the same amount of plate appearances as last season, um, 633 plate appearances, 633 times. And this ratio will go up after this game, obviously. Um, That's 58, 59 home runs. So that'll probably go up a skosh after uh, after today. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll probably be closer to uh to 60, which uh it's pretty fucking cool. It's pretty fucking cool. It's margin of error, baby. Love to see it. Do, who who do you think takes the I saw an article today um written by someone I like, who's a Yankees fan too. He said that Shohei Otani should be the MVP again over Judge. And uh I I don't understand the take. I really don't. I, I think it's 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 clear cut this year. Uh, I don't want to agree, man. Uh, Shohei Otani is having a really good year. Um, absolutely, absolutely. It's not even. It's this isn't even Shohei slander. No, like and if you, I, and there was a point maybe two months ago where Shohei was really kicking it into gear, and Judge hadn't gone on the ridiculous tear he's been on in the last um like six weeks. Where it was like, okay, Shohei's going to do it again. And like you and I were like, Shohei's going to do it again. But since then, man. God, I mean, he has a 2.68 ERA in 111 innings, has 157 strikeouts, and has a 137 OPS plus. Like that is just like if he hits. 30 homers, which he's on pace for, strikes out 200 guys. Like, that is still such an insane amount of talent. Like, I get that it'll be half as many home runs as Aaron Judge hits. I get that he is not nearly as good of a hitter as Aaron Judge. But Aaron Judge is having an utterly historic season. Shohei is having a really good season and is putting up top 10 Cy Young numbers on top of it. Like I, I genuinely just will never be able to look at his numbers that he's putting up all-star level numbers as a batter and a pitcher and think anyone who only plays half of a game can match that in the, in the MVP building. Well, by value judge is still well in front. Of show high, depending, uh, regardless of which war you want to look at. Um, fan graphs combining his pitching and war. hitting, it's six, it's a 5.9 war for show high, it's 7.1 for judge. Um, going by uh, baseball reference, it's uh, 5.7 for show high and 6.7 for judge, so it's not exactly close. Um, War, I know the definition for war says anything within, like, under a war, within a war is 
arguably comparable. It's not accurate enough to say, hey, 0.5 war is absolutely better than uh, one war. But I do get that that is still a sizable difference when we are comparing MVP numbers. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so different in what he is asked to do and is performing. It's just, he's the only person in all of baseball that can do that. Yes, Judge is on pace to break an AL record. Um, but there are plenty of guys who have the potential. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to talk myself into uh, I think in a order closer to, argument. It's just such a gut feeling for me. I, I understand it. And I don't even necessarily disagree with you. Because that, that, that's the thing that has, I think, people like, what show has, is doing is fucking nuts. But what I think would preserve the specialness of him winning MVP, let's be honest, this is not the last time Shohei Otani is going to be in the top three for MVP voting. Like, it's it's not. Um, if anything has proved that, it is this season. But I think preserving the idea of inherently meaningful milestones and their place within MVP voting allows for the years where there are no milestones to be more focused on the ridiculousness of individual achievement, which will be Shohei Otani. Like if you're telling me that Shohei like wins MVP um, for the next, like two of the next three years, but this isn't that year. Like it's the next two years, but no only, but only because judge hits 63 and breaks the AL record. And then there was no big milestone that got broken in the other two years. Like, yeah. I think that makes total sense. Or, you know, if, if it wasn't judge, cause it's a Yankees fan, Yankees player, like whomever, I think that makes total sense there. I think there, there needs to be some balance between look how crazy this achievement is. Cause otherwise we're going to say that every year till he retires mm-hmm. um, versus I recognize these numbers. These are history numbers here. We got to recognize the history numbers. There's that balance of boy howdy, this doesn't actually mean anything in real life, but it means something to the losers who watch baseball, which is me. The only thing that's holding me back from that is basically the argument Sexual we have attraction. every year. Man, there's there's a decent amount of that built into this. Is the argument that we have on juicing the big screen seemingly every year when it comes to hey. So-and-so has missed out on so many Oscars after being nominated X amount of times. This is their year. Yeah, maybe this performance is a little better, but he's like 21, so he'll have like 30 more years, 40 more years to win an Oscar. This actor is 65. This is his last chance. You know, you know the games the Academy plays? I just don't want to look back in five years and see Shohei Otani pitching high-level all-star starter numbers at two different positions and have, like, one MVP, two MVPs. Like the Mike Trout effect. Mike Trout should have more than the three MVPs that he has. I was going to say, he could become Mike Trout where he his MVP seasons are statistically worse than his non-MVP seasons just because of weird voter fatigue and other bullshit. At the end of the day... It doesn't if matter. Either one because... of them wins it. I'm not going to be like, ah, oh, 
Well, no, I will literally be like, ah, I get it. Yo, imagine a Chris Porcello Cy Young incident happens with the MVP voting and like Rafi Devers gets MVP because the ballots got split on Judge and Otani. I might quit baseball. I think I would vomit out of anger every day till the next season started. Every day who, I would wake up in the morning and just. Who is the who is the Green Party candidate in this case? I think it's Rafi. I would say Rafi Devers because he's the first person that jumped out to my 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 mind for killing it this year. Leaders. Uh, um, war. According to Fangraphs, the second number two war getter is actually Nolan Aaron. Oh no, Al. Sorry, um, Jose Ramirez. Oh, wow, what so about so far down? What about like a Sandy Alcantara or like uh that's National League? Uh true. Uh what about uh Justin Verlander? 15 and 3, 173 ERA. That'd be fucking funny. Or Kevin Gaussman, who's currently the AL oh. pitching war leader, which is hilarious. How? Who knows? How? How? Toronto is just going to consistently get weird near Cy Young or actual Cy Young winning um, seasons from random pitchers. You kind of forget what team they play for. Like Robbie Wright, who just pitched today for for the the uh, Mariners. Like they mentioned at the top of the broadcast that Robbie Wright won a Cy Young last year. And I was like, oh, shit, that's right. Last year. What team was he? Oh, right. Toronto. I, yeah. Like they're just going to collect those. That's going to be their thing. Anyway, um, total aside, but to wrap up, uh, there's been much discussion around the Baltimore Orioles this year. We've talked about them a lot as it um, already stands because we they were involved in my bold prediction heading into the trade deadline, which ultimately obviously did not end up coming true. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but there's been renewed discussion of the Baltimore Orioles because they are uh, half a game out actually no i guess did toronto lose or tampa bay lose today because i actually see baltimore as being in a playoff position how fucking nuts is that hold on yeah tampa lost today which means heading into the 705 game which for if you listen to this podcast this game has already happened um but that means that as of right now as we are recording this the baltimore orioles are in a playoff spot I mean, I saw Tampa today, and Bay I think I, think I sent a you a tweet, spot. which is awesome. Uh, they would be leading, I think it's the AL Central. Yes, I saw that. That's insanity. Uh, I love it. I'm not saying it's insane because it's unbelievable. I'm saying it's insane that, man, I, I kind of really, really wish that that they were. That would be awesome. It's 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 confounding in the best way. Like this is go ahead. Uh DJ LeMahieu is fourth in the AL in war. Quietly having a fantastic season. Making me eat my words for shit talking how, last year. How is DJ LeMahieu have four point six war when a starting pitcher who has gone 15 and three with a 173 ERA and essentially a strikeout per inning and a 0.85 whip have 0.4 less at 4.2. How the fuck does that math work? Are you talking about Sandy? Is that the comp? Uh, Justin Verlander. Oh, Verlander. 
a 40 year old pitcher who's about um, off of shoulder think, surgery. I think it's because Verlander has gotten actually a little lucky with his performance. I don't think his underlying metrics match up quite as nicely to that ERA. So that might be where some of that's Jesus. coming from. I just had a heart attack. What? I was looking at FIP and uh, there's a, a bar for 2021 because he didn't play. But in the uh, one game he played in, in 2020, he had a 5.69 FIP. And I just had a heart attack thinking he had a 1.73 ERA and a 5.69 FIP. Yeah. But it's 2.98. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think there's even some some other stuff with that because based on the um, how baseball reference calculates their war, I think they take into account some um, like he he's let up more hits, uh, I think per inning than he did his last couple seasons. Like you know, it, it's I think like the walks are down. Hold on, let me. Uh, even his walks are up. Yeah, well, his whip is higher than his 2018 campaign when he won the, his, his most recent Cy Young. Um, but 0.85 is still stupid low. I have no idea. All right, I'm going to be honest. No fucking clue. I thought his whip was going to be worse than that. Um, I, I, I don't know. You sure? Don't know. Could, couldn't fucking tell you. But uh, yeah, DJ who quietly having a fantastic season for the Yankees. Again, really making me eat my words for last year. But uh, back to the Orioles. You got to wonder what the fuck they do in the offseason. Because, like, if you are a fan of the Orioles, it probably doesn't matter what the fuck happens in the postseason, right? Yeah. Not, not even a little. The fact that you go is the biggest thing. Yeah. How crazy is it that Seattle and Baltimore are currently both in playoff spot? which means the Mariners could end their drought and Baltimore could have shown one of the biggest rebounds in the last five years in the same season. How fucking cool is that? So out of the top five prospects, two of them are projected ETAs of 2022 and it's a left hand and right hand pitcher. Outside of that, their starting pitching looks like seriously a black hole for them. Uh, I think if they go after free agent pitching hard, the rest of this roster with their young players that they have and the young players coming up through the system, like they could make maybe one flash free agent signing, you know, at Either the left side, or I don't even know, just something. And I think they have a seriously good team going into the next couple of years. Like, I don't think they need to do anything wild in the offseason. Free agent starting pitchers that they would reasonably sign uh, heading into next offseason. Because, uh, like, David Price, no one's, no one's signing David Price. Uh, Noah Syndergaard. Nathan Eovaldi. No one's sounding Zach Greinke. Uh Sean Manaya is apparently a free agent. Yeah. Kyle Gibson. Manaya would fit their culture so well. 
And like these are all because the other thing that, that the Orioles are really in a good position to do if everything else is going well, but they're starting pitching, which is what we said about the Angels for years, especially with the Orioles crazy low payroll is they could just take some fucking flyers. And yeah. I mean, like the Orioles could like like uh, Tyler Anderson, Corey Kluber and Andrew Heaney. I bet you could have all three of those dudes for under 30 million dollars next year. Oh, easily, easily under 30. And it's like to that effect. Uh, get those three dudes, Noah Syndergaard, Kyle Gibson. Like you could, you could build a rotation of random weirdos who might hey, some you might end up cutting or trading or whatever, but like someone might actually have like a weirdly okay year, three, five ERA, 150 innings. Some shit you take every fucking Sunday. I mean, Sean Manaya, holy shit, he has negative war this year. I thought he was doing pretty okay until he came over here. Apparently, he was having a not okay year and then got worse. You, you might be able to get not honestly all that often. I'm watching him right now, though. Um, he, uh, you could get him for cheap, and I still love him as a uh, as a player. I think uh, I think that could work out well. Remember when he was like the hottest fucking Boy, shit he, uh, with the yeah. A's, and everyone was trying to trade for him, and the A's were like, "No," and uh, yeah, had that pan out. He opened the season. For the Padres on April 8th, the second game of the season, seven innings pitched, seven strikeouts, one walk, no hits, no runs, uh, and has given up at least one run in every single outing since. God, God bless doing the Lord's work. Has only given up a single run in four of the next uh, 19 starts. He's just keeping everyone oh. guessing for the playoffs. They that know the Padres is... are going to win the division. You just got to keep everyone on their toes for the playoffs. Yeah, well, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, this Orioles turnaround has been huge. It's been great seeing the young dudes kind of come together. And it and it's, it's always nice to see a well-laid plan of weirdness kind of congeal. You know, like it's no mm-hmm. surprise when a team that is really good with a high payroll continues to spend money like the Dodgers the Dodgers are not a surprising team and when they're successful it's obviously fun because they're playing great baseball but it's not necessarily fun in a way that is spontaneous you know what I mean it's almost mm-hmm. like um I it, this is stupid but if you're if you're into birthdays I guess it's like the difference between a planned party and a surprise party you know and I mean it's like yeah if you plan a party it, it should be fun like it'd be weird if it wasn't fun um but if you don't plan a party at all and all of a sudden you walk into your house and there's a bunch of your friends, it's like, hey, you know, I probably would have enjoyed this if I planned it too. But you know what? This is a pretty fucking good time. This ain't have, this is pretty nice. What, what a bunch of sweethearts you guys all are for making this happen. That's the Oros this year. They're the, the, they're the surprise birthday party of a team. <laughs> oh, man, I would love to be able to actively root for the Orioles to, to be a force uh, soon. That was the first. That was the first baseball cap I ever owned. I ever bought. Bought an old school, like realistic, uh, Baltimore Orioles cap, like with the realistic bird on it. Back in like eighth grade. I uh, I Good wore times. mine the other day around my dad, and he was like, "Because I also have a realistic bird, like an anatomically correct Baltimore Orioles hat." And my dad was like, "That looks like an Orioles hat." And I was like, "It is." He goes, "No, I mean the team." I was like, it, it, it is. is. He goes, oh, 
<laughs> yeah, you fucking guessed it, big guy. I don't just buy hats with birds on them. Smart fella. Yeah. This is a um, team you've rooted against your entire life. I know I've told this story uh, before for the uh, New Jersey Devils. It uh, also honestly happened for the Orioles along with it. Uh, it was the first baseball game I think I ever was brought to, MLB game. I had a single baseball card that I had acquired some, I don't know. However, children just acquire random things. You either just find it or steal it, uh, and nobody notices. Uh, but it was a, an Orioles player that I could not give you the name of if I tried. But I brought it to the game, and I had it. And, boy, I was waiting all game for this guy to come up. And so at some point, my dad would just pick random players who were at bats, at bat, and would just, you know, hey, this is your guy. Go root for him. You know, oh, my God, he just hit a home run. That's awesome look at this is your dude um being the guy retired like three four years prior it's it's not anything special but it's weird that it has happened for two different store <laughs> sports the exact same way oh i love you buddy uh you love my father yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's only one heller that holds the key um, to my heart I'm his son, and eh. just a Larry David like expression. Eh. Eh. I don't care for Job. <laughs> I love all my children equally. Mm-hmm. I don't care, I don't care for, Job. for Job. Uh, shout outs to you, Jessica Walters, burning wherever it is you burn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't deserve that. I'm sorry. No, she, I imagine she was. A lovely woman. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Still um, dead, though. Still dead. <laughs> I wore I wore a David Bowie shirt the other day in front of my grandparents. And my, my grandfather was like, uh, oh, what's Bowie doing now? I was like six feet under and rotting. <laughs> and he was like, ah, yeah, yeah, I knew that. It's like, what isn't, kind of question is that? Isn't that the worst, though? Like when you are like thinking about somebody that's like, famous maybe not uber famous even though bowie would fall into that category and it's like ah man i miss seeing that guy what like why isn't he in the news uh death yeah mm, death death is why he's not in the news tough one i amy winehouse like a month ago i saw like a magazine with like an amy winehouse cover and i was like oh my god i forgot she even existed and then i read the title and i was like oh yeah yeah that's a tough one yeah, she's not around. Uh, no. no, 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 not at all. Uh, great music, though. Great music. Two killer albums. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, we haven't said anything baseball adjacent yeah. for a while, so I guess that's just time to wrap yeah. it up. Uh, so, hey, if uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juice and Pod. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. Corwin, do you have something you'd like to say? Yeah, uh, just a lad, la- just a last-minute comment on the uh, Baltimore Orioles farm system. Uh, their 20th-ranked prospect is a man named Michael Hernandez, uh, but he spells Michael M-A-I-K-O-L, and I... I want him to succeed so badly. That's all I have to say. Uh, sure. Yeah. 
you you go, Michael Hernandez. Uh, nice. And uh, with that parting thought, until next time, y'all have a good one. Bye.